Hey everybody, it's Matt Zola from Fern Creek Christian Church. So glad you're able to tune in with us today. Hey, while you're on your phone, why don't you go ahead and follow us on social media at Fern Creek CC on Facebook and Instagram. And you can download the Fern Creek Christian Church app on your phone today. We hope this message encourages you to become a better follower of Jesus, to be a disciple that makes more disciples. So without further ado, here's the message. Good morning, Fern Creek. How's everyone doing this morning? You're not awake yet. It's okay. It's the last day of the year. Uh, for those that don't know me, I'm Jeremy Welch. I'm the student minister here at Fern Creek, and I'm excited to be with you, you here this last day of 2023. All right, so who's excited for the new year? Anyone? Way more people than first service. That's okay. Um, but with the new year fast approaching, it's a great time to reflect on this last year and look forward to what's happening or what's going to happen this next year. So let's first, let's take a couple minutes and kind of reflect uh, on what happened here at Fern Creek in 2023. It's been an amazing year of growth here at Fern Creek. In 2023 and January 1st of last year, of this last, of this year, we started our, off by adjusting our service times back 15 minutes and moved to one service style. And the result is that we saw growth in every service. In 2022, we averaged 112 in the first service. In 2023, that moved to 146. That's 34 more people just in first service alone. In 2022, in the second service, this service, we averaged 219 people. In 2023, you all averaged 307, which is an increase of 88 more people. And then in the third service, we averaged 258 in 2022, and then that moved to 281 in 2023, which is an increase of 23 more people. So 100, over 140 people have been coming since we adjusted service times and moved to one service style. And we saw growth like that in, across, across the board uh, in Fern Creek. Rich told me that we averaged more people in life groups this last year than the, in the year previous. He said we also started five new adult groups in 2023. And we saw baptisms jump up. We had 76 people get baptized this last year. Yeah, absolutely. We had 69 people transfer their membership, which is a total of 145 new people uh, becoming members here at Fern Creek. And then I think most of all, uh, kids ministry, Fern Creek kids saw a huge increase in numbers over the last year. And let's check out some of these big events that have also taken place over the year. Josh planned and led uh, th four international missions trips. However, one of them got pushed back to uh, January. The, the Poland group is getting ready to leave in January. Uh, so three, missionary, th three mission trips with a fourth one planned for this year. Kids ministry. In elementary, they decided we want every elementary kid to have a Bible and every elementary leader to have the same Bible so everyone could be on the same page. So they went and donated a Bible to every single kid and volunteer in Fern Creek Kids Elementary. And they continue to do that with every new kid and volunteer that, that shows up uh, in elementary, the elementary grades. In our first year of doing Operation Christmas Child, it was something brand new that we'd never done before. We donated 700 boxes to that, uh, and they're already planning for next year. And trunk or treat, we weren't sure if it was going to happen because of the rain, uh, but you donated all of the candy, something like 40 or 50,000 pieces of candy, and then you still showed up in the midst of the rain, and we had, I think, 16 to 1,800 people show up in the rain. It was an awesome event. And then the big thing is we saw growth uh, and pinch in the need for space in kids' ministry especially. So as a staff, we gave up our offices. We moved out to the lobby, some more enthusiastically than the others, but it's okay, um, 
and then we turned that 2,600 square feet of space into a new kid's wing. And so, and then we, that debuts just very soon. And then God did more than we could ever ask or imagine when we came to the offering. We said we needed 320,000 just to pay for it. And you, God did more than we could ever ask and imagine because 100, over $100,000 more was given than what was asked, than what was needed to pay for the new wing. And we've already had people in the wing checking it out. They had the kids candlelight Christmas service last week. And then uh, this next Sunday, seven days from now, it opens uh, for uh, the new wing opens. We're all very excited. It's been incredible to see what God has been doing this last year. Absolutely. And it's exciting to think about what God could do this next year. Because the new year brings this, this idea of new beginnings uh, and, and, and excitement and resolutions. And maybe that really appeals to you this morning because you really desperately need a new beginning. It's been the worst year of your life and you are just excited to turn the page and start fresh. Or maybe it's been the best year of your life and you're just excited to see how it could get better this next year. Or maybe you're just like, yeah, it was another year and we'll see what's gonna happen there. Wherever you're at this morning, we can be excited about new beginnings. And when I think about new beginnings, one of the most dramatic ones that comes to my mind is the conversion of Saul, which is found in the book of Acts. And to understand why this is so dramatic uh, and so incredible, uh, we need a little bit of context on who Saul was before his encounter with Jesus. So Saul is first mentioned in Acts chapter 7. He's the guy standing there giving his approval as Stephen is being martyred for his faith. He's the first Christian martyr. And Saul is this, this rising star in, in the religious circles. And he is there giving his approval uh, as Stephen is, 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 is being stoned. And here is how he describes himself in Philippians chapter 3. He says this, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Israel, of the, or sorry, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. What he's saying there is he checks all the boxes. He has all the right credentials. He has the status and he knows the right people. He's connected and he is like this rising star, the next it guy. And Stephen's death is, kicks off this great persecution against the church, especially in Jerusalem, and it's led by Saul. We see this in Acts chapter three, or Acts chapter eight, verse three. Saul, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And then in Acts chapter nine, it says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So now we have a snapshot. We have some context of who Saul was. This rising star who, who checked all the boxes. He was going to be like their next leader, the next person they all pointed to. And he's breathing out murderous threats against the early church. And he's really done a number on the church in Jerusalem. He, he makes people flee. And so then he's on his way to Damascus to do the same thing there. And then God shows up. So we go back in uh, Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 3. It says this, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Lord. 
Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now, if the disciples in the early church could have picked the last person that they would have ever expected God to use as, uh, for his kingdom, I'm pretty sure Saul was going to be at the top of that list. He's the guy who is actively against the church. And yet God says, no, this guy right here, your, your mortal enemy, I'm going to use him. And that's exactly what happens. If you know uh, what happens in this story, you know that while Saul is blind for these three days, God talks to a disciple in uh, Damascus by a guy, named, a guy named Ananias. And he says, I want you to go and meet Saul, restore his eyesight. And, and Ananias says, uh, time out. You know who Saul is, right? He's the guy who's trying to imprison us. I'm going to pass. Uh, probably not in that same language, but that was the gist of it. But God says, no, listen, he's ready. He's going to be my chosen instrument to the Gentiles Go, you have nothing to fear. And so Ananias goes and meets with, with Saul, and he um, restores his sight, and then Saul is baptized. Talk about an incredible, dramatic new beginning. He goes, Saul goes from this chief persecutor of the church to its newest convert. And then we think, okay, perfect. Now he's a Christian, and now we know he's the super Christian, right? He, he goes on these missionary journeys, and he, um, he writes most of the New Testament, and, and, and that's, that's what happens. But if that's our understanding of the story, we, we miss um, some important pieces of it. And that's what I want to concentrate on, is what happens exactly after Saul's conversion. Because, again, I, I assume this as well. I, I've read the Bible, you know, at least once. Um, and um, it's, it's a joke, I promise. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I've read the Bible. I went to Bible college. And somehow I, I missed kind of what happens next. So let's kind of dig into what happens next. In Acts chapter 9, verse 19, after Saul is baptized and his sight is restored, Saul stays in Damascus with the believers for some time. Now, different translations say a few days, a couple days. It just says, we just know it's, it's some time. He's, he's there for a while. And then we're not sure how long he stayed in Damascus, but he, he seemed to stay there a while because it says in, in a couple verses down, it says, uh, after many days had gone by. Again, we're not sure how many, many days is, but it's at least more than a couple. Uh, he learns, Saul learns that the Jews there in Damascus want to kill Saul. So he escapes from Damascus and heads on down to Jerusalem. Now, I'm not an expert in, in travel in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, but I know uh, from my research is that it would take approximately a week of just walking to get from Damascus to Jerusalem. Seven to eight days of just walking. So Saul goes from Damascus to Jerusalem, and there he's trying to meet with the Christians there, except, you know, he's persecuted the Christians, and they want nothing to do with him. Uh, in fact, they're, they're terrified of him, and they, they, you know, they've seen... They've seen nothing different about this guy, Saul. There's been a spiritual transformation in Saul, but there hasn't been a physical transformation, and they don't want to meet with him. But there's one believer there, a guy named Bern uh, sorry, Barnabas, a guy named Barnabas who's, who, who believes his, Saul's conversion is genuine, and he brings Saul to the disciples, and they accept him as a believer in Jerusalem. 
In uh, Acts 9.28, it says this, so after, after he's been brought to the disciples, so Saul stayed with them and moved freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. This idea that he's, he's kind of there for a while. Again, the language is a little vague. And we're not sure how long he spends time in Jerusalem. But then another group of Jews try to kill Saul. And so he is sent off to Tarsus by way of Caesarea, which means he just goes from Jerusalem to, to the coast and then it probably takes a ship up to Tarsus because it's a long journey. Um, modern day travel from Jerusalem to uh, Tarsus is 14, I think 14 to 18, 18 hours, something like that. And that's, that's in a motor car which he didn't have in those days. So it's just a, a huge chunk of time. And all of these things happen in the, in the span of Acts chapter 9. And a lot of times when we read the Bible, when we read it and we just read something that happens, we think, oh, these things happen so quickly. But we forget about travel and things like that. So here's all the things that happen in Acts chapter 9. Saul takes a week or so to travel to Damascus to try to imprison the Christians. He's blinded by Jesus on the road. We know it's three days. He's converted to Christianity, and then he's baptized, and then he spends many days in Damascus. Then people try to kill him, so he travels another week or so back down to Jerusalem. He's there for an undetermined amount of time, and then people want to kill him again, so they send him to his hometown in Tarsus. It's a huge chunk of time from the time Saul encounters God on the road to Damascus to when he's sent to his hometown of Tarsus. Just a big chunk of time right there. And then we don't hear about Saul for, for a little bit of time in, in the book of Acts. We start talking about, uh, about things happening with Peter. And f until finally in, in chapter 11, sometime in the chapter, Barnabas goes to Tarsus to find Saul. And he brings him to the church at Antioch. And they're there at Antioch for a while. And finally, Saul and Barnabas are sent out on their first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13. So when I studied this and I, and I researched what happened to Saul and was trying to put together the timeline, I realized that there's just a, a significant amount of time between what happens in Acts chapter 9 and the sending of Saul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 13. Well, now, how significant amount of time, you ask? Scholars and, and people way smarter than me, I've argued and debated, and they kind of came up with a timeline that anywhere from 11 to 13 years. Now, it's really easy to kind of get bogged down in the details and start try to become a detective and, and go through the text and, and try to map out your own timeline. Uh, but the, the point, again, people smarter than me, um, they say, with, with pretty accurate, between ten, two, uh, one to two years, 11 to 13 years later, he goes on this missionary journey. And the point I'm, I'm trying to, to make is whether it's 11 or 13 years or split the difference and call it 12, um, it's a significant amount of time. What's Saul doing during this 11 to 13 years? So Saul, who, as he goes on his first missionary journey, his name is, he becomes Paul. Um, he spends this time, this, this 11 to 13 years, preparing, growing, learning, praying, preaching, serving, before God ever says, all right, now you're ready to go on this missionary journey. So over a decade, between Saul becoming a Christian and him becoming God's chosen instrument to the Gentiles. And so here's the takeaway from, from Saul's conversion and what happens after. It's this, spiritual growth takes time. Now, I know some of you are looking at me going, well, that's not all that impressive, we know this. Uh, but I, I think it bears repeating because we live in a culture that wants instant results, right? 
You know how I know this? We started, used to, we used to make mac and cheese the old-fashioned way. Some of you still might do. You know, boil the, all the, boil the noodles, all the things, put the cheese in slowly. It takes some time. And then we said, no, no, that takes way too long. And Kraft said, we got your back. Let's do Easy Mac. In like seven to, to ten minutes, depending on how fast your water boils, all of a sudden you have mac and cheese. All of the things right there, you just add a little bit of milk, a little bit of butter, boom, you're good to go. And then we said, no, 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 that takes way too long. We want a microwavable cup and done in three and a half minutes, and all you have to do is just add water and stir it in, and then you've got mac and cheese for yourself, right? We want instant results. We want things fast. And we, get, we want results right away, and when that doesn't happen, we get discouraged, we get frustrated, and sometimes we just give up. And we know that because if you have tracked, people track resolutions, and studies show that only 9% of Americans who make a New Year's resolution actually complete them. 9%. I'll even go a step further. 23% of people quit their resolutions after the first week. And 43% quit their resolution by the end of January. Almost a quarter of people, 23%, almost 25, we round up, they say, you know, after, after the, within the first seven days, they're like, this is too hard, this is too much work, I don't have time for this or whatever, I'll just buy a bigger you know, T-shirt size or whatever, I'm done. <laughs> and then 43%, you know, about half, about half people say, you know what, I gave it a good go. It's been a month and nothing's changed, so we'll just, we'll call it a day, right? We're an impatient people. We get frustrated when it takes too long for our movie to buffer or to go to the next thing, next queue on, on Netflix. And so we get frustrated when there's not immediate results. Or maybe this happens to you. You know, you go, all right, it's a new year. I'm going to make better choices. I want to be healthier. I'm going to eat healthier. I'm going to go to the gym. So we sign up for a gym membership and we start going to the gym every day and all we eat is celery sticks and drink water. And after three days, the only thing, the only transformation has happened is that we're angry, we're hungry, we're tired, we're sore, and we're, we've got a headache because we gave up our, our caffeine consumption cold turkey, right? So then four, on day four, you wake up begrudgingly and you, you're like, all right, I'm gonna go to the gym. Today's the day. And you're driving and you pass a Krispy Kreme donut location, right? <laughs> And then that hot, fresh light pops on and you break a land speed record pulling into a parking spot. And you know, you have one or two and that tasted really good. So then all of a sudden, you know, a dozen or two later, you're just like, well, I guess this is what it is. And you're, you're done with the gym, right? Because you're just back into your old habits because it takes time. Growth takes time. Results take time. It, it, it takes time to form a habit, a habit. It takes, studies show that it takes 10 weeks, 10 weeks of daily repetition to form a habit. That's two and a half months, but half of us give up after a month. That's 70 days, and, most, and, and a quarter of us just give up after seven. It takes 70 days, two and a half months, 10 weeks to start a habit, and they just take time to develop. And the thing is, social media doesn't help us either, right? We see people post their transform amazing transformation stories. There's a before picture, it's like one of these. And then the next, and it's all, all like this, you know? Like, and they're like, oh my gosh. But what you don't see is you don't see the time frame. You don't see how long that took. And you don't see the hard work that they chose to do day after day. You just see a picture. And then after day two of, you know, pumping a little bit of iron or walking uh, after work, you don't see any change and you get frustrated. But if we want results in any capacity, it takes time. It just does. 
And that happens especially for spiritual growth. It takes time. You can't rush spiritual growth. It doesn't happen overnight. Or maybe we just want to start reading our Bible and praying more and every day. And we go, you know what, I want to, I want to build this into a habit. But it doesn't come naturally and it doesn't come easily. Because as soon as we wake up, everything is clamoring for our time and our attention. And so we get discouraged and it becomes less intentional. And it's like, well, when I have time. But how, be honest, how many of you, when you wake up in the morning, you have three hours of uninterrupted time to do anything you want, right? Not very many of us. Most of us have, you know, jobs, children, other things that, that are clamoring for our attention as soon as you wake up. So you have to be intentional about it. You have to be intentional about setting, aside, setting a time up to read our Bible and pray. Maybe that means going to bed 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes earlier and waking up earlier, which is no one's favorite thing, or just not mine anyway. But we have to faithfully work at it day after day. And two, it goes two, two months go by, and it still not, might not be a habit. You still might have to work at it, and we won't see results right away. But that's okay, as long as you continue and don't get frustrated by the lack of results. Because remember Paul's timeline. God told Ananias, Paul is going to be his chosen instrument to the Gentiles. But it was over a decade before God went, or before God sends Paul on these missionary journeys, and he write, he starts these churches, and he writes these letters that become our New Testament. And we see this waiting period happen a lot in Scripture. Moses spent forty years in the wilderness as a shepherd before God says, "Okay, now I'm going to use you to lead my people out of Egypt." David was anointed going to be anointed to be the next king of Israel as a teenager, but he spent the next 15 years serving King Saul, running from King Saul, fearing for his life from King Saul before David became king. Joseph, in the Old Testament, he had this dream that his brothers were going to bow down to him. And then, you know, as the favorite child, he chose to tell his brothers that, which they hated, almost to the point that they wanted to kill him, but they said, no, that's going to be too extreme. We'll just sell him into slavery and ship him off to Egypt instead. So that's what happened. He goes to Egypt. He spends his time in the, in the service of a guy named Potiphar. Things are going well until Potiphar's wife makes advances. He runs away. She lies about it. Potiphar gets mad, throws him into prison. And then he's there for a while. He interprets a couple of dreams from some of Pharaoh's officials. Um, and then he says, remember me. Uh, they don't. And then he's, he waits in prison longer, just waiting, biding his time. And finally, Pharaoh has a dream, and he goes, and no one can figure out what it is. And all of a sudden, that one official goes, hey, I remember this guy in prison. Let's go see if he's still there, and then if he can do it for you. So Joseph interprets this dream, this dream of Pharaoh. Pharaoh appoints him as like second command of Egypt. He saves Egypt. He saves the region, and that's when his brothers bow down to him, just like his dream oh so many years ago. There's this waiting period. It just takes time. So don't get discouraged when you don't see immediate results and immediate growth. It takes time. It takes hard work. It takes being faithful day after day. If you want to make Bible reading a habit, it takes 10, at least 10 weeks, or 70 days, two and a half months. That's 70 days of, of being intentional, of choosing to say this or do this day after day, rep daily repetition. And Paul encouraged Timothy in the same way. He talks with the same idea, he, that spiritual growth takes effort on our part. It takes effort and it takes time, but it's so important. 
He says, he, Paul says this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 10. Have nothing to do with godless, godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves all acceptance. This is why we labor and strive. Because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Paul experienced this, this new, dramatic, new beginning after encountering Jesus on the road to Damascus. And his life was never the same. And yet it still took 10 years for he, he, begin, he would begin his missionary journeys. God put Paul in this season of growth, in this, this time of waiting, because God knows something that we don't and we, and we struggle with every day is that you can't rush spiritual growth. There is no microwave for spiritual growth to just speed it up. It just takes time. It takes effort. So as we turn the page on 2023 into 2024, it's the chance for this new beginning. And it your new beginning might not be as dramatic as Saul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Maybe it's going to be more like those 10 years or those 11 to 13 years after that, that in, incredible encounter with Jesus. It's just going to be a lot of quiet, hard work, spiritual growth. Maybe we're just going to grow deeper in our faith, deeper in our relationship with Jesus, in our, in our Bible reading. Or maybe you're one of the 146 people that, that gave their life to Christ uh, and, and, and joined Friend Creek, and you go, you know, I haven't made Bible reading a habit. I haven't ha really done much with my prayer life. And so this is going to be a season, this next year, of just spiritual growth and preparation, of Bible reading, of enhancing and, and deepening your prayer life. And that's okay. That's, those are good things. But don't get discouraged when it doesn't happen overnight. Don't get discouraged when after a week, two weeks, two and a half months, it just, it, you're not seeing the, those, those results that you're wanting to see. You can't rush spiritual growth. Just don't get discouraged when you don't see the results. It's still happening. It's still growing. And maybe for some of you, 2024 needs to be this new beginning in Christ, that you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never claimed him as your Lord and Savior and been baptized. You've, you've heard a lot about it. You attend church, but you've never made that choice. So whatever this next season brings for you, I pray it is a, a year of, of growth um, and that you're not too discouraged by the fact if you don't see the, the results that you're expecting to see. The good thing is, is, is God works in mysterious ways and that if God put Paul, if God put Moses, if God put David, if God put Joseph in these, these seasons of waiting, uh, then it's okay if we're in a season of waiting and a season of, of, of growth as well. So as we, as we turn the page and get ready for 2024, let's get ready for our new beginning. Whether or not we see a lot of physical growth or a lot of, of spiritual growth, just know if, as long as you're sticking to it and you're, being prepared and you're spending time and being intentional about it, it's going to happen. Let's pray. Hey, it's Matt Zola again. That was a powerful message we just heard. I pray that what we have learned today wouldn't just be stored in our minds, but would move into our hearts and help us to be conformed into the image of God's Son, Jesus. And I pray that that message helped you become a better follower of Jesus and taught you 
how to love, live, and lead like Jesus. If you want to talk with somebody about something you just heard or you want prayer for something going on in your life, there's somebody on staff who would love to connect with you. Why don't you email us at office at ferncreekcc.org and we want to put a name to your face. We want to know your story and we want to connect with you in person if we can. Again, that's office at ferncreekcc.org. You know, one of the things we value at Fern Creek Christian Church is being a part of community. If you've been listening to our sermons online or you've been watching our services on YouTube or Facebook, why don't you come visit us in person one Sunday? We would love to get to know who you are, and we believe that we grow better as followers of Jesus in community and not in isolation. You know, God gives us community as a gift. We have services every Sunday morning, and we hope that you'll feel welcomed enough to be able to join us and worship with us in person. Thanks for tuning in today. Grace, peace, bless others this week.